Welcome back to Horoscope Witch. It's Mal, and welcome to the Women Who Run With the Wolves episode. I'm so excited. First, I would like to apologize for any coughing or sneezing that may go on in this episode. (laughs) I'm a little bit under the weather, but we're gonna get through it, and I'm too excited about this episode to prolong it any further. And if you are a first-time listener today, I will be kind of doing a book club slash book talk on Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pincola Estes. For all intensive purposes, I will be calling her CPE (laughs) in this episode. So CPE, she wrote this like amazing, amazing book called Women Who Run With the Wolves, and today I feel like I'm sort of her prophet, (laughs) and I would like to sort of deliver her message to anybody who is listening, because I feel so passionate about what she has to say, and I honestly think, like, this might be the most important episode that I have ever made, like, astrology aside, tarot cards aside, like, I don't think we can actually look at astrology and tarot cards and things like that without also looking at this book (laughs) and that's a like really profound statement because well a this book really has like it's not like going to talk about like Pisces and Cancer and Scorpio or anything like that it's not about astrology and it's not about tarot cards per se but (laughs) if you are on any sort of spiritual journey or if you are on a journey of learning any mode of divination like tarot or runic readings or whatever it may be, um, this book is just like, mm, I feel it. I, I feel it so deep in my soul. And yes, I. but if you are listening to this episode and you haven't read the book or maybe you bought the book but you haven't gotten around to reading it, don't sweat it. Um, like I said, this is sort of a book talk, so I'm going to be talking about this book and sort of giving my take on everything that's being said, but I don't necessarily think you absolutely had to read the book to get something out of this. Maybe this episode will inspire you to go out and buy the book and read it for yourself. That would actually be my ultimate goal, but of course, like if you don't have money to, or time to buy the book or read the book, this episode is kind of for those people as well. I'm just so passionate about the message. And yeah, so without further ado, um, let's get into it. Now, why did CPE make this book, Women Who Run With the Wolves? And what does she mean by the title? Let's take a step back and discuss the title first. (laughs) Also, I'm such an English major So in college, I was um, an English major, and I was also a religious studies major. So I had two majors, and I am, like, in full force English major mode. (laughs) And I have, like, so much passion for this book, and I have faith that I can make it not boring. Not that this is a boring book, but I think some of us are really resistant sometimes to reading or... Um, as a person who's like tutored a lot of people in writing and reading, like people hate writing and reading. 
uh, for some reason. And I get it, I get it. But <laughs> if you're a person that hates writing or reading, um, I can't relate. <laughs> but also let me know if I end up making this sort of process more fun for you because my inner English teacher just wants to make books fun. <laughs> so also my inner English major would want to talk about the title first. So let's get back to the title. Women Who Run With the Wolves. Also, who is CPE? Who is Clarissa Pincola Estes? So in the introduction, we learn that she's a a Jungian psychoanalyst. Um, If you don't know, Carl Jung is sort of like Freud's um, frenemy. (laughs) And Carl Jung is also an excellent psychologist that you can read Um, if you are on sort of a spiritual journey, he is the psychologist that was sort of like, yeah, Freud, like everything is about sex, but we also have a soul. So he does a lot with dreams and archetypes, and it's really fascinating to read him. And he, you can apply his teachings to the tarot quite easily. And he definitely believed in like mysticism and tarot and all of that. But CPE, she is an expert on Jung's psychology. She's also a poet and she also calls herself a cantadora, um, which is someone who tells traditional stories and hands them down to the next generation. So I think in a way, if you consider yourself a witch um, or even if you teach anything, like if you teach tarot, if you teach Reiki healing, if you teach any sort of mode of spirituality, you are in a sense a cantadora because you are like passing down a story um, in a sense. Like when I'm teaching people about, let's say, the hero font card, I'm passing down the story of the hero font and they can do what they want with it afterwards. So that's kind of the point of this book. She's sort of just, just passing down a bunch of little stories for us to consider and she's also analyzing them um, with great detail and how they apply to this sort of idea of the wild woman archetype. So what is or who is the wild woman? Um, So I believe the wild woman lives in all, all of us and you know no matter what gender or what binary you identify with I do think there is this sort of wild person wild woman, whatever you vibe with, um, living in us. And what does that even mean? Um, It's more about this wild archetype is someone who is kind of connected between both worlds, uh, the material realm and the spiritual realm. And this person is also very in tune with their intuition. And if I could use one word to describe this whole book, it would be intuition. And this book really just teaches us the power of developing our intuition, which I think is why it's so important for tarot readers, for any sort of healer, um, baby witches to consider this book because the first step to any of that jazz is actually finding your inner intuition inside yourself. So also one thing um, before we go into the introduction of this book. So 
Uh, CPE, she uses the word woman a lot, obviously, because the title is called Women Who Run With the Wolves. And I just thought I'd put this out there. I think this book speaks to everybody's experience. And even if you don't identify as a woman, if you're a man or you identify in a different binary, that's totally cool. I think you can still vibe with this book. Um, Just know that she does use the word woman a lot. Um, But when, if I am discussing this book and I am using the word woman in a way that doesn't vibe with you, I just want to put it out there that I'm going to try my best to sort of be inclusive about my language on this podcast, um, especially this episode. And also, if I do use the word woman or female or girl, um, just know that I've said this before, but I really do believe that there are way more than just two genders. And, you know, even though I am a white cis female woman who identifies as a woman, I'll never really be able to speak to gender perfectly. But in this episode, I will make an effort to, again, be inclusive with the vernacular that I'm using. And I also think that just because CPE uses the word woman so much and she's speaking to a more feminine, um, gendered perspective, it seems like it really seems like she's writing this book for women. Um, I really believe that this book can be read by everybody and can be applied to everybody's life. Um, And more men should read this, like seriously. So also, if you're a man and you're listening to this, thank you so much. (laughs) I don't think there are any guys that are listening to this, though. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) thanks for everybody who's here. So. Let's get back to this wild woman archetype or wild person who lives inside of us. On page six, CPE says something so profound. Um, By the way, I'll give out page numbers, but I know that most listeners on the other side of this probably are like cleaning their house or driving while they're listening to this. So just in case there's like a couple people out there who are actually listening with their book open like and treating this like a real book club that's totally cool I'll give you some page numbers according to my book I have the small like mass market paperback version um of the book but yeah I'm just gonna give the page numbers just to also I don't want to be sued for like copywriting (laughs) because I'm gonna like quote this book a lot within this episode so on page six CPE says She's referring to the wild woman. And she says, Once women have lost her and then found her again, they will contend to keep her for good. Once they have regained her, they will fight and fight hard to keep her. For with her, their creative lives blossom. Their relationships gain meaning and depth and health. Their cycles of sexuality creativity, work, and pay are reestablished. They are no longer marks for predators. They are entitled equally under the laws of nature to grow and thrive. Now their end-of-the-day fatigue comes from satisfying work and endeavors, not from being shut up in too small a mindset, job, or relationship. They know instinctively when things must die and when things must live 
They know how to walk away. They know how to stay. Okay. So I think this passage on page six, it's speaking to the wild woman inside of us. And I really think this sort of wild woman archetype, it's just speaking to one thing, at least for me, and that's our intuition. That's our instinct. That's like our inner soul. Um, So once we lose our soul, I think it's kind of like, you know, when you're walking in a new city, in order to learn how the city, the layout of the city, you must get lost, right? We must get lost in order to be found. And I think there has to come a time in every person's life where they have kind of lost that connection to their soul or they've lost a connection to their intuition, instinct, whatever you want to call it. And we have to sort of fight to get it back. And I really think that's sort of like the beginning processes of being a witch um, or being an intuitive, being a psychic, what have you. I think there are like few, few intuitives out there who were just born into like ultra supportive families that just like encourage their intuition and their wild woman nature from the beginning and we're just like oh yeah like you know I'm gonna give my little toddler a deck of tarot cards and really encourage her to develop her intuition like if you grew up like that totally cool like that's awesome if your parents uh treated you in that way but I think most of us either how we were raised or just how or even society how society sort of frames intuition um later we'll kind of look how um CPE says that society turns intuition into a sort of quirky um a quirky personality trait like society sees people who say they're intuitives oh they're so like weird they're just weirdos or they're quirky Um, and you know, that really gets internalized. (laughs) So I think it's sort of like this passage we're looking at how intuition has been lost, but once we find it, it's sort of like, once we know, we know, right? Once we know, we can't unknow. Once we wake up, we can't go back to sleep, although we might try. Um, and she'll, CPE goes into this in the story of Vasilisa and Bluebeard, which we will be dis- discussing today. Um, and this sort of instinctive knowing when, like, things must die, we're, we're instinctively in cycles, how humans, especially females, reflect the moon and the cycles. There is scientific evidence that says that females um hormones we recycle kind of like the moon cycle like every 30 days our hormones recycle and men um or people who are born males um they're more their hormones um recycle with the sun so every 24 hours uh the hormonal cycle of a male um gets to start over and that's sort of part of like connecting to your intuition, realizing that 
you are a cycle. Humans go through cycles. Not fighting the bad times, but rather staying in them. Sort of like how nature doesn't fight winter. (laughs) It's not like the outdoors turns to winter and the trees protest. The trees stay green even though it's snowing. Like trees do not protest the seasons and we shouldn't protest our seasons. Okay, so CPE tells us on page eight that the word psychology actually means a knowing of the soul. So this is also what the book is about. Without knowing the soul, she says on page eight, women are without ears to hear their soul talk. And also they are without their inner eyes. Um, And without inner eyes and without inner ears, to hear your soul, women will surely lose their soul footing. Okay, so I love that word. I love how she kind of creates that word soul footing. Um, I don't think that's in the dictionary, but (laughs) sort of like walking the path of your soul, and I love that. Okay, let me ask you this. We're considering what it actually truly means to listen to our souls, see our souls, walk with our soul um let let us ask let let us ask ourselves this as children were we ever encouraged to get to know ourselves (laughs) like I wasn't (laughs) like were we ever encouraged to get to know our soul were we ever encouraged to follow our intuitions You know, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that most of us did not experience this in our childhoods per se. Like, our parents might have signed us up for certain activities like soccer or ballet or gymnastics. And maybe, you know, after some of those activities, we were like, oh, mom, like, I don't really like soccer. I prefer tennis and or uh, I don't really love basketball. I, I really just want to do dance. Like, we were sort of encouraged to get to our get to know our likes and dislikes on a very surface level. But we were never really encouraged to go deeper. <coughs> Excuse me. And why is that? Well, I think the reason is that I think society, influenced by the patriarchy, you know, they want us, our intuition, to be repressed. You know, could you imagine what our society would be like if we were all, like, woken up, quote-unquote? Like, we all followed our intuition? Like, I don't even know if we would need a government, or I don't know if we would need a prison system, or, um, or even a police department. Like, if we were all waking up and following our soul's journey and our true intuitive nature... Um, we wouldn't need society's patriarchal oppression, right? We wouldn't need these white guys in office. We wouldn't need um, the cost of war or guns or violence. And all that shit makes us money, right? So there are like real reasons, whether it's subconscious or conscious, why patriarchal society would want to trick us into thinking that our intuition is just some quirky weirdo um, characteristic 
if we all started to fight against that, you could imagine what would happen. And I actually think more and more of society right now is waking up, including women and men and non-binaries in my generation especially. But in chapter one, that's kind of like the highlights I felt from the introduction, like her CPE really talking about like what it means to wake up and what it means to start to follow our intuition. Now in chapter one, I like chapter one, but I thought that chapter two about Bluebeard and chapter three about Vasilisa, um, I thought they were way more profound, at least in my perspective. But just to quickly touch on chapter one, um, CPE discusses La Loba, um, the wolf woman or the old woman who lives inside of us. And she says that the old one, the one who knows, is within all of us. And she lives between the two worlds, which I'm assuming are the material human realm and the spiritual world. And she also says on page 28, the land between the worlds and is the inexplicable place we all recognize once we experience it, but its nuances slip away and shape change if one tries to pin them down, except when we use poetry, music, dance, or story. Okay, so that's definitely a very, like, foo-foo-la-la <laughs> sentence, but what I like about that sentence is her mention of music, poetry, dance, or story. And we can see how in society, in patriarchal society, um, these things aren't valued, right? Um, Like, you don't see poets making, like, millions of dollars for their poems. (laughs) And same with, um, I mean, musicians do make it big, but, like, I don't think we necessarily overly value musicians in our society or even dancers or storytellers or really anybody who's using art as a vehicle for their soul um anybody who's channeling uh this sort of soul language into their art and the thing is is that like I was saying, how society kind of subconsciously or consciously keeps our intuition sort of in chains or makes us feel like those things are not valued. Also, the languages that our soul takes in poetry, music, dance, or story, those are also devalued. And I can speak to this like I feel like I just gravitate towards all of the things that are devalued in, like, regular society. (laughs) Like, I gravitate towards, like, spirituality, and I'm a poet, and I've been told so many times, or I've felt so many times in my life, that, like, those things aren't valuable. Like, those things aren't going to make me money. Like, it's not... um, it's not a valuable thing to write a poem or it's not um, even a smart thing. Um, You know, it's incredible how we view sort of people who 
study math and study science um we or engineering or I'm just thinking about all the majors in college or my friends what they majored in and like what was valued and what was not valued um or economics like all those subjects are we place such a high value on people who are experts in those subjects but then other people um like let's say the theater majors the english majors the art majors uh we don't take them as seriously for some reason even though they're the ones who are sort of doing the soul's work they're following the journey of the soul and i actually don't think there's anything that is more valuable than producing some kind of art that reflects your soul's inner knowing or soul's purpose or your soul's message but we can see how society makes these people just feel cheapened like their um their art doesn't matter or um like they don't matter or like they can't fit into society do you know how many times people have told me like that I will never be successful like pursuing poetry or pursuing my art. And honestly, they might be right. <laughs> um successful in a sort of monetary way. But when it comes down to it, those of us who do sort of who are brave enough to pursue poetry, storytelling, music, dance, like CPE says on page 28, we sort of are um what is the word she uses the cantadoras um were the people who you know passed down these arts um from generation to generation and it's like uh you know my favorite actor Robin Williams I've talked about him before um if you've ever seen Dead Poets Society you know there's that famous quote he says like um it's like the poets and the musicians and the dancers and I'm I'm totally messing up this quote, but he says that it's the people, it's the poetry and it's the stories that actually keep us alive, right? They keep us um going with our will to live. And I think that's really beautiful that CPE would bring that up. Okay. So, let's take a water break. Okay. I hope this isn't boring. <laughs> Um I wish you guys were like with me so we could have like a legit book club and talk about this more and I could get your take on the things I'm saying and um sort of we could have like an exchange of thoughts. And I know that's not entirely possible on a podcast, but on Instagram I will make a post um and you can feel free to have some intellectual discourse with me in the comments and please leave me like what part of this book really like spoke to your soul um basically every page speaks to my soul in this book <laughs> but if there was something that like really changed you like let me know and i'll definitely post on instagram but feel free to dm me tweet me comment about this book cuz i definitely want to discuss it with my listeners in some way now that is chapter 1 that's what i'm going to touch on in chapter 1 There are more profound things in chapter 1, but like I said, I think Okay, guys. This story of Bluebeard is 
so important. <laughs> it's literally like I don't know why they don't give this story to like every girl her freshman year of college. <laughs> but or even every person <clears throat> their freshman year of college. But I think this story can be applied so easily to sort of every person's life maybe like around let's say 18 years old like let's say like right at like the tipping point of adulthood when um a woman or however you identify um when we turn 18 when we're like just at that like stage of being like okay I'm an adult but I don't actually know anything and I have like so many lessons to be learned that is sort of like what Bluebeard is to me. So let's do a recap for those who didn't read the book. Um, chapter two centers itself around the story of Bluebeard. And maybe you have heard this story before. I actually don't think I ever have heard of it before um, reading Woman Who Run With the Wolves. But essentially, um, as it says on page 38, Bluebeard is the story of the natural predator. So what happens is that um, there's this girl and she has two older sisters and they kind of see this guy, his name's Bluebeard, and he like lives in the forest. Now they, this kind of sounds kooky, but it's like an archetypal story. So the three sisters, they're kind of like, mm, we don't know about Bluebeard. Um, and Bluebeard, meanwhile, has decided to sort of make these three girls his next victim. So he sort of starts to pursue these girls and um, he invites them into the forest. They have like a wonderful time, la-di-da. -la all three of them start to think, oh, maybe Bluebeard isn't that bad. But when they, when they get home from this, um, like, wonderful day in the forest, the two older sisters start to be like, mm, I don't know. I'm still skeptical. Now, the youngest sister ends up marrying Bluebird. And uh, things sort of go wrong for her, right? Okay, so this is where the story gets pretty weird. So the younger sister, she marries Bluebeard, she moves into his huge mansion and his house has like a million rooms and he gives her like a special set of keys and he says you can go anywhere in this house except don't go in the room which this key unlocks and he gives her this little key and he's like you just can't go in that room that's the only place you can't go in the house okay so of course what's this bitch gonna do um so one day she calls um she goes around the house and she starts sort of like unlocking all the doors and she's trying to see which um door will open with this key that bluebeard has forbidden her to open now when she finally reaches the sort of cellar creepy room and she actually unlocks the door with this special key what she discovers is really terrifying, right? She discovers a bunch of, like, dead bodies of women. <laughs> and then the key oddly starts bleeding, 
which is like you're like a key can start bleeding but it's a fictional story kids so just stay with me here the key starts bleeding there's blood all over the place bluebeard comes home he can totally tell that she has unlocked this forbidden door he decides to kill her and then she's like all right if you're gonna kill me just give me like an hour to like do whatever so he like locks her in this room she has like an hour before he's gonna kill her and she starts to like scream for help for her sisters and her brother-in-laws and she ends up being saved they end up killing bluebeard okay i know that's kind of a complex story but i thought i'd just give us an overview now what on earth can bluebeard actually have to do with a sort of let's say girl in her early 20s because that's my age um or however you identify what in your early 20s so what can the bluebeard story actually teach us so on page 39 um when the story is starting it says bluebeard courted the three sisters at the same time but they were frightened of his beard with its odd blue cast so they hid when he called in an effort to convince them of his gentility he invited them on an outing in the forest blah 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 blah. the sisters began to think well maybe this man bluebeard is not so bad after all okay i think this is so profound like the fact that even from before they really even met him before the three sisters really even hung out with bluebeard they had a bad feeling about him right it says they were scared um they hid they previously hid from him when he called for them and i also think it's profound that bluebeard had to convince the three girls to come with him right um it's not like they like from just their own will they were like oh it sounds like a good idea to go see bluebeard in the forest like he had to come and make them a special proposition and say, oh, come into my forest. I have, you know, uh, like picnics and charcuterie boards and like all this cool stuff. Um, so the sisters, you know, afterwards then thought, well, mm, maybe Bluebeard isn't so bad after all. Here's what I want to ask you guys. So this got me thinking um, because obviously the sisters at first they had a bad impression of bluebeard right um but then later they kind of went against this bad impression and they said well um maybe he's not so bad maybe i just got a bad impression so is there such thing as a bad first impression because like as i get older and trust my intuition more the more i actually think there is no such thing as a bad first impression Now, what do I mean by that? Like, just to be clear, I'm talking about, okay, what is a bad first impression? To me, that connotes that, like, when you meet someone, a bad first impression would be like, okay, I didn't like them. But then later, you realize, oh, you know, that was just a bad first impression. Actually, they're okay. They're not that bad. They're not as bad as I thought. 
see, I think that's all like a fallacy of our own minds. Because I guess in my life, um, and I... I don't know how many profound bad impressions I've had in my life, but I can tell you that one really profound bad impression was a person that I started dating and I then dated for almost a year. And I bet I'm not the only girl who's listening to this or woman or man or whoever you are. I'm not the only person who's like done that before. Like, I almost think we sort of romanticize like that sort of bad impression like the girl we see this in movies a lot right the girl she meets the guy um he's like sort of a douche um and we romanticize sort of like the douchebag going after the nice girl and then the nice girl ends up changing the douchebag and sort of gets at his like really true heartfelt nature and he ends up being like a good guy in the end the one movie I'm thinking about this or the book I should say the book and the movie is um oh shit um Nicholas Sparks guys help me out um Mandy Moore a walk to remember okay in a walk to remember if you've ever seen that movie or read that book um the girl the nice girl the nice christian girl so she's very sick right she has cancer and her and this like really super popular douchebag guy um sort of get together and that's completely romanticized in that book right to like the next degree to the fact that like she changes him so profoundly that after she dies he like never remarries right that's like the book so this is sort of like the lie that society has told us and that books have perpetuated it's sort of like um if the nice girl can sort of attract and get the douchebag guy to notice her um maybe they'll start dating and then he'll become like a super good person like she'll turn him into a super good person and I think that's total bullshit but it's such a trap that we fall into especially when we're young and we're just first starting dating and I think it's a trap that a lot of us fall into even in our first relationship it's definitely the trap I fell into in my first relationship now um does that mean this is like totally an objective truth like I think like if you get a bad first impression of someone or your intuition is just telling you oh god I don't like them they're not great uh, but you really have no reasoning behind your feeling is that always true like is it always true that even if your intuition says it maybe they're not such a bad person I don't know it's hard to say like I guess I'm at the point in my life where I have learned that lesson I've learned that lesson so much so many times over and over again like if you have a bad feeling about someone or a bad first impression of someone don't do it (laughs) don't mess with it (laughs) don't go near them don't let them talk to you if they ask you out say no I'm sure someone out there like 
has this like wonderful love story about how they met their husband and at first they didn't like him and they gave him a chance and now they're married and have like 10 kids and whatever um but for me for my truth I guess I would like to encourage other young people um to stop doing that stop romanticizing this sort of like bad bad guy good girl thing we've got going on because that's what like perpetuates this sort of like um men not being held accountable for their actions you know we see in the news we see um in criminal cases uh yeah it's just it's not a good thing and I think that's the main lesson of Bluebeard like we see if the younger sister would have just listened to herself and her inner knowing at first none of that shit would have happened she would have never um, got stuck in Bluebeard's mansion and almost got killed right now I think it's also profound that on page 40 when they're first all meeting, this is before Bluebeard and the youngest sister got married. So I would say this is sort of after they come back from that like epic picnic in the woods with Bluebeard, right? On page 40, it says, the older sister's suspicion and fears returned and they vowed not to see Bluebeard again. But the youngest sister thought if the charming, if he was that charming, then perhaps he was not so bad. The more she talked to herself, the less awful he seemed, and also the less blue his beard was. Okay, holy shit. So I think that's really profound because, well, A, there's the obvious that the older sisters who are wiser and more experienced they're the ones that are like, nah, I don't love Bluebird. I'm going to listen to my intuition here and, you know, take an L on Bluebird and we're just not going to deal with him because even though he took us out on this nice picnic in the woods, I just still ain't feeling it. There's something wrong. And they listen to that and they're right to listen to that. But the younger, less experienced girl um, the youngest sister, instead of listening to her innermost knowing, she actually decides to talk herself out of her initial feeling. She actually tries to dumb down her intuition and repress what she actually feels. Okay, how many fucking times have we done this in life? <laughs> how many fucking times have we lied to ourselves, repressed our intuitions, talked yourself out of feeling a certain way because it was irrational um, or because it seemed irrational. Um, it sort of like reminds me like just like um, I don't know in college like you know being you know having a big group of friends who were women like just the things you hear and see and experience and you know it's kind of like when people say like you know oh he's not that bad like oh we used to beat his girlfriend like I bet that's just a rumor or like oh you know the coach kicked him off the team 
oh, I bet that's, like, he's probably not, like, that big of a douchebag, though. Um, or, like, if we, like, see a guy out and he's, like, every time we see him at a bar, he's, like, super sloppy or super drunk. He's always drunk. Oh, well, he seems nice. Like, he bought me a drink. Okay. Um, like, they're just, like, little moments like that where we ignore what is right in front of our eyes and we, for some reason, talk ourselves out of our initial feeling. Uh, and I think that's really wrong. And it doesn't even need to be that, um, that sort of serious. Like, I just said, you know, stuff about, like, you know, really violent guys or really drunk men that we see out and then we somehow you know talk ourselves out of like what we feel like it can even be like a small inkling we get when we first meet someone or we first date someone and we're like "Mm, I just have a feeling that we're like really different people or like "Mm, I just have a feeling that this isn't gonna last long uh like But we do it anyways, and I think that's a mixture of women and people in general kind of wanting to, for some reason, prove ourselves wrong. There's also a lot of us who have an issue with changing people, wanting to change others, wanting to interact with that fantasy of uh, changing a person, like making a person better, because, um, you know, we're good people, so if we get together with some douche lord, like, there is a fantasy that we could change them, and he's gonna turn to us and say, like, you know what, you made me a better person, and I'm not gonna go against my old ways anymore, and as silly as that sounds, like, I think all of us have had that fantasy one time or another. Also, I think one of the reasons young girls go against their intuition is because it's so deeply ingrained inside of us that, like, in order for us to have value, we need um, a man to like us or we need a man to take interest in us. I think that's sort of how a lot of us get into... (sighs) toxic relationships and I'm talking about everybody I'm not just talking about heterosexual couples like I'm talking about um gays straights bisexuals anybody anybody who you're interested in um I think there's a sense of like I don't have value unless another person is interested in me and I think that's also rooted in the fact that like if we are out at a bar and someone hits on us, like, that's gonna boost our ego. That's, like, you know, it just is, like, oh, they think I'm hot? Cool. And then that sort of creates a situation from the get-go that was always ego-based. Like, even if they're a douchebag, or even if they don't seem like a great guy, and they're hitting on us, or a great girl, And we're just going to, like, be, because society has taught us that we don't have value without another person, it's almost like we're preconditioned to sort of be agreeable with this process, like, be agreeable with sort of going against our intuition 
and going with what we've been taught we are by society. So without blabbing about that too much, sorry, I'm just really passionate about this idea that, because I've done it and I've felt it, like this idea, why do we continue to go with people that our first inkling was that they are bad? Our very first inkling, this guy is a bad guy. I don't like him. But we have no physical proof, right? So that's how we end up talking ourselves out of it. We don't really have evidence that they're a bad guy. And they might not actually be like a murderer or a sociopath, but there's just some inkling that this person isn't good for us. But we take more of a logical, rational side. Well, I haven't seen him do any of that shit. Or, well, I haven't technically seen him with my own two eyes um, get violent or beat someone up or get blackout drunk. I haven't seen that. So I can somehow talk myself out of it and still receive validation from this person to boost my own ego, which is actually rooted in self-confidence issues, right? So um, CPE, she goes in to say... um, that around 12 years old, young girls, um, and I would argue young boys too, we get swept away by society and start canceling out our intuition. And But as early as age five, we sort of start this, especially with us who have been raised and socialized as women. Um, sorry, water break. Um, yes, we have been conditioned or brainwashed, I should say, with this sort of be nice attitude. So on page 49, CPE says, um, this early training to be nice causes women to override their intuitions. In that sense, they are actually purposefully taught to submit to the predator. Imagine a wolf mother teaching her young to be nice in the face of an angry ferret or a wild diamondback rattler. Okay, um, yeah, this is a really, really good point, that in nature, so humans are animals, right? In a lot of ways, we like to pretend we're not animals. We like to pretend that we're way more sophisticated than a young wolf mother. But the truth is, we're really not that much different than the animals outside. Um, And if an animal doesn't like, what am I trying to say? So animals don't go against their instincts, right? They don't second guess their instincts. If a dog senses like a ghost or a presence in the house, they don't say like, oh, well, uh, maybe I'm just creeped out by uh, the storm outside, or maybe I'm just creeped out from this scary movie, or uh, maybe I'm just being ridiculous. Like, no, like if a dog senses a spirit in the house, they're going to start growling or barking, right? I don't know why that was the example I chose to give. (laughs) You're probably like, what? Dogs sense spirits? Oh, I definitely think dogs sense spirits. Like, if I ever, I don't know, become... I recently had a... One of the ladies I now work with at um, a healing shop, I just... Actually, I was going to talk about this in the next episode, but... I did just get my first job sort of as a professional. That sounds so, um, that sounds just like 
I can't even call myself a professional tarot reader, but I guess I do have a gig now, just one time a week, but I do have a gig now reading tarot for money, which is amazing. Um, But this one lady who works at the shop, she is so, so sweet, and she's actually a medium, and uh, she was reading for me just the other day, and um, the word, she she started to see the word exorcist, (laughs) and she's like, do you have any connection to that word? (laughs) And I was like, uh, maybe? (laughs) I'm like, are you trying to tell me I was an exorcist in a past life? (laughs) She's like, literally, maybe, like, but what I was going to say is, if I ever do, like, you sort of pursue a path not of being an exorcist but maybe like if I ever you know develop my intuition enough where I feel like I can sort of be a ghostbuster in a sense like go into people's homes um, and um, help them with any spirits or any um, sort of evil inkling um, or bad energy they have in their home I should say I will most definitely have a dog with me hundred percent or some kind of animal um but mostly a dog I think because animals this is my point animals don't second guess their intuition they don't have to go through this sort of loss of the wild woman finding the wild woman this whole process that CPE is talking about they just do it if they sense bad energy they growl at it they bark at it and they go away right and actually we need to be more animal-like especially us women who have been trained to not bark, not growl, don't show our teeth, actually don't be quiet, shut up, be nice. All of these things have actually sort of repressed our inner animal and that inner sense that we can sort of sniff out when someone has bad energy or when we're in a place that is unsafe for us. Um, We've been taught to sort of over-rationalize and over-analyze every single thing in our life when at the end of the day we don't need to do that because like our inner animal knows what is right and what is wrong and that's really what we have to get back to now let's see here where are we um say for instance okay so on page 49 this is really profound Say, for instance, a native woman keeps making poor choices in a mate. Okay, so we're, I guess, the context of this passage is that we're talking about on page 49 how the youngest sister, her inner knowing knew deep down that she was making a bad choice, but her rational mind talked herself out of it, and that's why she ended up marrying Bluebird, Bluebird, Bluebeard, Um, because he had a sense that he was a man of power, right? She saw that if she married him, she would get to live in this big house and have all this money and quote-unquote have all this freedom, except for the fact that she couldn't go in this one room. Um, But so why did she choose to make this poor choice? She knew she was making a poor choice on a deeper level, but a surface level, it seemed like a good choice, right? So let's read that quote again now that we have context. Say, for instance, a naive woman keeps making poor choices in a mate. We all know this person, right? We all have a friend who continually makes poor choices in a mate. Or we all 
have been in this cycle before, or maybe we still are in this cycle of continually choosing a bad mate for us. But continuing, page 49, somewhere in her mind, she knows the pattern is fruitless, that she should stop and follow a different value. She often even knows how to proceed, but there is something compelling, a sort of Bluebeardian mesmerization about continuing the destructive pattern. In most cases, the woman feels if she just holds on to the old pattern a little longer, why surely the paradisical feeling she seeks will appear in the next heartbeat. Okay, so yeah, that gets a little la-la, foo-foo language at the end, but what really we're talking about here is the cycle of picking bluebeard after bluebeard after bluebeard. And even when we feel like we're finished, we've, we're like, fuck, that's the last douchebag I'm ever dating. I'm never doing that again. I'm never dating some guy with a history of cheating again. I'm never dating some guy who has a history of violence again. la di da di da Um... But then for some reason, we still attract that. We still keep attracting that. Why are we in this cycle of choosing a mate that is bad for us? I actually think it has to do with a couple things. Um, According to CPE, she's talking about our innate predator within our own psyche. Um, The idea that inside of us, if we have this all-knowing intuition you know, black can't exist without white, good can't exist without bad, intuition can't exist without the predator, right? We can't have the yin without the yang. So if we have an all-knowing intuition inside of us, we also have a predator inside of us that will do everything in its power to make us go against this, right? And honestly, I think that predator is sort of like, a very like logical rational not to say that rationality does not have value (laughs) although a Pisces might say that (laughs) um like I totally believe in being logical and being rational obviously (laughs) but I think like there's a point where we can get so rational it's irrational and all the Virgos who are listening to this are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you can't actually get too rational. (laughs) What are you saying? But me as a Pisces, I believe there's such a thing as becoming too rational. And I don't think intuition is always the most rational or logical thing on the surface. But long term, it is the right choice, right? Um, Continuing, On page 51, continuing with this same theme of why do we get stuck in the cycles of choosing bad mates, um, page 51, CPE says, The naive or injured woman is then too easily lured with the promises of ease, of enjoyment, of various pleasures, be they promises of elevated status in the eyes of her family, her peers, or promises of increased security, internal love, high adventures, or hot sex. 
Okay, so these are all a list of very rational reasons why we may be inclined to choose a bad mate. Like, um, he makes a lot of money. This sounds really, like, uh, not shady, shallow. This sounds really shallow, but I think there's something within all of us, especially those who have been raised and socialized as women, Um, There's something we need to understand about us. We've been conditioned by society. Even if our parents told us women are amazing, women can do anything, women can make just as much money as men, even if, um, even, you know, women can do anything a man can do. Even if we were told that growing up by our parents, society has still told us the opposite. So we have to understand that all women are carrying a sort of um, premise of lack of abundance with them, at least initially, at least in, you know, our early 20s, for sure, if not going into our 30s. Um, There's a lack of abundance because we've been told by society that um, we are not as worthy as someone who has been born and socialized a man, as a man right? We've been told we'll never make as much money as them. Now, maybe we haven't been told that verbally, but we can see that, like, there's literally proof of that. Like, men statistically make, statistically make more money than women, right? So, we're carrying, on a subconscious level, a sense of unworthiness, okay? So, as shallow as it seems that I'd be saying, women look for rich men, that seems really shallow. You're like, how could you say that about your own gender? How could you um, make your own gender into sounding that shallow? It's not that I'm trying to make us into um, like shallow trophy wives or shallow um, like uh, gold diggers. Like I'm not saying women are like that, but I'm saying because we've been conditioned to think of ourselves as unworthy and unwill or unable to produce abundance, I think that's why we are easily lured by men who we see as men of status, right? So whatever that may be, um, doesn't mean they have to like be making a million bucks, but there's something about them, um, that subconsciously communicates to us that they are of status, that they will help us, that they will protect us because we are, um, we are not abundant as abundant as them uh also this um this sort of thing that she's saying like you know we choose bad mates because of their elevated status she says um promise of increased security internal love high adventures or hot sex um this sort of reminds me of uh Like, something I said about um, my 2019 Ten Commandments, I posted this on my Instagram. Um, I made Ten Commandments that I wanted to really follow during 2019, and I thought this was more spiritual and just better for me instead of making, like, New Year's resolutions. I just wanted, even though I have goals for 2019, um, I wanted to make more of, like, spiritual resolutions if that makes sense and one of my spiritual resolutions was um 
love is not lust, fear, or boredom. I'll say that one more time. Love is not lust, fear, or boredom. And that's something I really, really want to explore in 2019. And I think that's really what CPE is getting at when she's sort of talking about us picking a bad mate. Um, It could be out of lust or hot sex, as she's saying. Um, It could be out of fear, though, because there's a fear complex in women that if we are alone, we will not be able to provide for ourselves. Um, That's just at a subconscious level in all of us. And boredom, um, I do think there's a sense that, like, this sister this youngest sister is kind of bored like she's almost like there's sort of an immaturity about her that's sort of like I'm bored I kind of just want to run away with this bad boy and see what happens like (laughs) which I think we've all done from time to time especially when we were younger um but we sort of have to learn that our first our very first impression is the right thing And if we can start to trust that, we can start to think that is true, I think that's really profound. And I think that's actually the first step in developing our intuition. There's such um, a misconception that intuition means that you're getting like psychic messages from, you know, your ancestors or you're seeing ghosts. And it's not that. Developing your intuition starts with first impressions okay of anything um they say when you're learning tarot you know if you want to step away from the guidebook pull a card a day look at the card what's the first thing you think go with your very first feeling that's what intuition is the more you feed that the stronger it gets and that is cpe's ultimate message Feed your intuition, it will get stronger. And this counts for people too, new people that you meet. What is your first intuitive knowing about them? And go with that and see what happens and see how it changes your life. See how how it changes your dating life, okay? We'll talk about dating life more um, in the Vasilisa chapter as well. Um, What else do I have? I want to finish up this chapter and then take a quick break. Um... Oh, okay, so I have the moment um, the little sister chooses to unlock the door to the cellar and disobey Bluebeard is sort of the moment where she says fuck you to Bluebeard, right? But also she says fuck you to her inner predator and starts to choose her intuition. And I think there has to be a moment in all of us when we're developing our intuition where we have to start to say fuck you to that inner predator that's telling us that we're wrong that's telling us that our inkling is irrational um and we have to actually take the step to unlock that cellar despite our inner predator telling us not to now it's kind of sad though because i feel like i know so many women who just never unlocked their cellar right? They just took the key and Bluebeard, metaphorically, of course, told them like, here's the key. Don't unlock anything. You can live in my house. Um, Cool. And they're like, okay, cool. And they just like, maybe they're curious about what the key unlocks, but they never actually follow through. They never actually go into 
um, their true feeling to investigate and go see, oh, well, why doesn't he want me to go into that cellar with this key? Maybe I should go check. They stop there because I hate to say it, but I think some women choose ignorance is bliss. Um, ignorance is bliss. As long as I remain ignorant, I don't have to awaken my inner knowing because the minute I awaken my inner knowing, I might have to, um, you know, break up with my boyfriend (laughs) or I might have to like lose some friendships or I might have to go on a different life path. And it's just easier for me to stay secure and not become awakened. Do you see what I'm saying here? I mean, am I crazy? I do feel like I see a lot of women who are like that. Like they, they, they just sort of, they're on the brink. They could be on the brink of sort of a spiritual or an intuitive awakening, but they just choose not to because it's easier. It actually is easier to walk through life and remain um, unawakened. Um, even though I think it causes you more turmoil, as CPE would say, uh, it's just... It's a weird, it's a weird juxtaposition. Um, Okay, so the rest of the chapter, the rest of this Bluebeard chapter, CPE, she sort of goes into this dark man dreams kind of theme, which I won't get too into, but uh, I would actually like to encourage us to um, see if there's any dark man do we have dark man dreams what do I mean by this um just any sort of predator dream like you could have a dream that someone is chasing you someone is robbing your house um someone wants to kill you um anything of that sort uh if you are a spiritual person have you had this dream before and is it possible that this dream that you continue to have is sort of a metaphor for your inner predator because I do truly believe that every single thing that exists within our dreams is a metaphor for something else um very few times in a dream is something literal um I always think dreams are like the most poetic thing we have they're the poetry of the subconscious so next time you're journaling if you're an avid journaler like I am Lately, I think for the past month or so, ever since I've been back from Malaysia, I've been starting each morning by writing in my journal. Um, I'm doing morning pages. And it's like literally the best thing I could have ever done. Like I love it so much. Um, So if you do a practice of morning pages or you just journal, your next journal prompt is to write about any time in a dream you've sort of seen your inner predator. And I really want you to unpack your dream and see what comes up for you. Okay, now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to go into the next chapter, chapter three, Vasilisa. And we're going to see what else we can kind of get going here. So, okay, we're back to talk about Vasilisa. I always want to call her Vaseline. Um, but Vasilisa, um, so quick recap about the story of Vasilisa, which is chapter three. So this story is sort of like a creepy retelling of, (coughs) oh, excuse me, um, Cinderella and also Hansel and Gretel, it reminds me of in a weird way, (laughs) but, um, 
basically there's a young girl named Vasilisa and she has like a really great relationship with her mom but she's young and unfortunately her mother passes away before her mom passes away her mom is able to give her this sort of doll that she made her and um then uh the after her mom passes away Vasilisa's dad remarries and she now has an evil stepmother and evil stepsisters and one night um their house runs out of fire and her stepmom she tells Vasilisa to sort of go into the woods and find um, this older woman named Baba Yaga. And she says, go find Baba Yaga and ask her for more fire. And they sort of send her out into the woods knowing that she's going to die because um, Baba Yaga is um, sort of like this... uh, like old hag stereotype. Like she's this old hag that lives in the woods um she's like this evil quote-unquote evil presence um and she like eats children or whatever the story goes so it's only vasilisa and her doll and in order to survive vasilisa starts to realize that within this doll that she's carrying um remains sort of the voice of her mother in a weird way at least that's what she thinks So the doll leads her through the woods when she is lost. The doll leads her to Baba Yaga's house. And once she is actually with Baba Yaga, um, Baba Yaga gives her, like, some interesting tasks. Like, uh, she tells her to, like, sort out all these poppy seeds from a pile of dirt. Or um, she tells her to clean her house and, like, all this stuff and... Um, Baba Yaga does seem pretty creepy, (laughs) Um, but long story short, Vasilisa is able to listen to the doll, and the doll actually is able to do a lot of the tasks for Vasilisa in order for her to live. Um, And finally, in the end, Baba Yaga gives Vasilisa a flaming skull on a stick, (laughs) and that's sort of the fire that she's able to have. excuse me and uh she then is running through the woods with this flaming skull on a stick and the doll leads her safely to home and then by the end of the story the skull actually burns the house down and kills her her stepmom and her step siblings uh so that's sort of a recap of the story you know a little you know, fairy tale, some light stuff, um, but, uh, anyways, what is the point of Vasilisa's story? I think it's getting at a lot of the same stuff that Bluebeard was actually talking about, and that's what I love about CPE, how she begins, um, the women who run with the wolves with these two stories, Bluebeard and Vasilisa, because at the core of both of these stories, um, we're actually just talking about intuition. That's really what these, both these stories are about. They're, they're about developing intuition. And if every young baby witch, baby tarot reader, baby astrologist, just like any old person discovering their spirituality, um, 
intuition, discovering your intuition, uh, developing a relationship with your intuition is like the most important thing you can do for yourself. So um, on page 83, um, CPE says, over generations, these intuitive powers become buried um, streams within women, buried by disuse and unfound charges of disrepute. However, young ones remark that nothing was ever lost in the psyche. So there's a sense with Vasilisa and um, just women in general that uh, this sort of intuitive knowing is within all of us. It is sometimes buried, though. Like, not all of us were born to mothers who um, confidently claimed their intuitive powers. Not all of us were born to tarot readers or psychics or intuitive uh, people or whatever, what have you, or even just a spiritual being as a mother. Um, a lot of us were born more to parents who totally have buried their intu intuition. So how do we take responsibility to unbury that and go on with our soul's journey? Well, Vasilisa can tell us more sort of about that. Um, so in part one, um, she, CPE titles this part, allowing the too good mother to die. Um, and on page 85, she says, if we stay overly long with the protective mother within our own psyche, we find ourselves impending all challenges to ourselves and therefore blocking further development. So... I think this is really key because we all have a protective mother inside of us, right? So this is like another layer to what is going on inside of our psyches. In Bluebeard, we discovered that we all have this sort of innate internal predator within us that is telling us to go against our intuition. But on top of that, we also have another aspect which is this overly protective mother um, and of course this could be physical a physical manifestation you may actually have an overprotective mother but inside of us all we also have an overprotective mother because we're humans and our main goal um, not our soul's goal but almost like our animal monkey mind's goal is to stay alive and survive so this overly protective mother inside of us may end up further blocking our development well how um well we've all heard from our parents or even inside of ourselves um certain phrases that cpe lists on page 86 so she says oh don't do that you can't do that it's dangerous out there who knows what will become of you if you insist on leaving this warm nest you are going to humiliate yourself be quiet don't be rude don't use curse words. Put some lipstick on. Don't go anywhere alone. Um, those are my own phrases that I made up. But there's a sort of sense that um, people who have been socialized as women, there's a sense that like we are just innately unsafe in the world that we live in. Of course, this is ever-present in our society, especially since the Me Too movement has arisen um we've been sort of fighting against this 
notion that women have to do all these things to keep themselves safe in everyday society. So, like, don't walk alone at night, carry pepper spray with you, take a self-defense class, um, la-di-da-di-da, what have you. Um, And we're starting to change the conversation and be like, well, why don't we tell men don't attack women? (laughs) Why don't we tell men don't be violent against women? Um, There's a sort of switch in the conversation, which is good. However, just a switch in the conversation can't actually eradicate this good mother, too good mother inside of all of us that's telling us that the world we live in is dangerous. Now, is that legitimate? Absolutely. Like, we see on the news all the time, like, women getting murdered because they were running alone by themselves. In daylight. It wasn't even at at night. Or we see endless, endless stories of rape and incest and um, um, everything in between. And uh, we obviously do live in an unsafe world for women and for trans people. Um, absolutely, but the truth is our mind, not our soul, but our mind loves to hear this stuff, like loves to hear the stuff like, don't go outside at night, you can't do this, it's dangerous, don't say that, don't go anywhere alone. Our monkey mind loves to hear this because even if we find it annoying on a surface level, um, our monkey minds, what do I mean by that? Like that, I mean like our, um, I hope everybody kind of knows what I mean by monkey mind, but it's sort of like our, uh, I guess our human selves, not our soul selves, but our human selves, um, wants us to constantly stay safe and be in our comfort zone. And that is the mind's um, goal, Right. We have to realize that our sometimes our mind, especially our monkey mind, and our actual intuition have different goals. <laughs> and that's what's hard about being intuitive and following your intuition. Because the mind says, oh, well, you should go on a date with this guy because you haven't seen any displays of violence or you haven't seen him beat his ex-girlfriend or you haven't seen him get really drunk and angry. Um, but our intuition says, no, you don't need proof. Like, just stay out of it. There, you, you, The only proof you have is your feeling and just go with your feeling. So you can see how we have this sort of dichotomy inside of us that's always pulling us back and forth, back and forth. It makes us it hard to follow our intuitions, especially at first and especially when we are young. Um... Now, here's proof that we live mostly in our monkey minds um, from day to day. Um, Let's take the common fear of spiders. I love to talk about, like, what humans actually fear. Um, So most of us, when we see a spider, we start to freak out. Maybe it scares the shit out of us, and we got to call someone over to kill it, right? Okay, that's completely irrational. You do realize that, right? (laughs) That's completely irrational fear, but our like inner cave people, our inner caveman, our inner cave woman sees a spider, and our minds they don't our mind doesn't know we're living in twenty eighteen you know what I mean like according to our mind, we're still in like hunter or gatherer times, and we need to like find food and survive and 
um, avoid everybody with sickness. And if we see a spider, we should freak out because that spider might bite us and kill us. Now, obviously, in everyday life, we don't really have to worry about that. And even if a spider did bite us and it was poisonous, we could get to a hospital and we'd probably survive. Now, monkey mind has not, evol- has not had an evolution to know that, right? Like, we are evolving, but very slowly. Monkey mind still believes that we are, like I said, like these sort of hunter-gatherer people. Um, and if our monkey mind was rational, we would actually have the reaction we have to a spider when we see a car, like when we every time we saw a car, we would just start freaking out and be like, "Oh my God, it's a car! Help me, someone!" Um, because a car is like the most—it's um, the thing that's most likely to kill us, or one of the things that's most likely to kill us in daily life, like car accidents. Um, but we don't, right? We don't freak out every time we get in a car. Um, but if our monkey mind was evolved enough, we would, and we would stop freaking out about spiders. Um, same thing with public speaking. They say public speaking is like the biggest fear um, in the human realm, right? Well, why is that? Well, in an intuitive, not intuitive, in like a monkey mind sort of way, when a bunch of people are staring at us, our monkey mind feels threatened. Our monkey mind feels like everybody might be like looking at us like we're the next meal, or maybe a big group of people all staring at us might want to kill us or something like that. Like, it's totally irrational, but it's true. Like, that's what monkey mind is thinking when we're public speaking. Um, so, yeah, just interesting to, like, examine these fears. Uh, monkey mind versus intuition. Um, so... I think it's really interesting that on page 87, CPE, she says she must be willing to feel anxious sometimes. Otherwise, she might as well have stayed in the nest. And I think that's really important, Um, especially today um, in society. I think the willingness to feel anxiety is something that is really completely lost on our generation, especially my generation. Um, And... Because my generation and also the millennials and then the generation Z below us, um, we need constant validation, right? Which also feeds into this unhealthy cycle of um, our anxiety. And actually, I think the willingness to feel our anxiety and the willingness to feel fear is actually one of the most powerful and valuable things you can do for yourself. Now, am I, I am in no way saying that like, massive amounts of anxiety are good for you and I'm not saying that you should stop taking your anxiety meds or stop seeing your therapist or whatever but I'm saying that if we can learn to use our anxiety at least this monkey mind anxiety for our benefit this can be very liberating and it's even more liberating when we start to determine what the difference is between anxiety monkey mind anxiety and our intuition right And I actually see that question a lot just online and like the spiritual community. Like it seems like every person is constantly asking other intuitives like what the difference is between intuition and anxiety because that actually gets really mixed up in especially in our age when I feel like everybody has anxiety. Um, So we'll get into that more. I don't know if I have like 
an amazing answer for how to um how to like determine between your intuition and your anxiety like I'm thinking like when let's go back to Bluebeard when the youngest when the sisters first see Bluebeard and they get a bad feeling about him I think that's definitely intuition like I don't think that's anxiety um whereas I'm trying to think of another example like whereas if um you have anxiety about um let's say leaving the house um or going to the grocery store like something like that would be anxiety and not intuition um so I don't exactly know I'm still working on that and when I have an answer for you I will definitely share it I don't it's hard to put into words because I feel like I'm getting closer to that answer within myself, like knowing the difference between my anxiety and my intuition, but it's only a feeling. Like, I'm not sure if that feeling can actually be put into words for you, but if I ever do get a sense that I can put it into words for you, I will. And I would love to know that. Maybe someone can comment about that in on my Instagram or on Twitter. Tweet me if you have like a a way to tell between your intuition and anxiety. Um, But I think that's actually what Vasilisa, the story of Vasilisa, is getting at. Um, And also remember that our anxiety is linked to this sort of too good mother inside of us, right? That person that wants to keep us safe from everything. Um, But if we can actually work with the anxiety and overcome our fears, that's way more powerful than avoiding feeling the anxiety. And I think that's really what I'm getting at. Okay, so let's go to the next part of this chapter. Um, On page 88, I love this quote. CPE says, To be ourselves causes us to be exiled by many others, and yet to comply with what others want causes us to be exiled from ourselves. Yes. Oh my God, yes. Then she says on page 89, Like Vasilisa, we may try to be nice when we ought to be knowing. We may have been taught to set aside acute insight in order to get along. Um, But then she goes on to say, There is no reward for being nice except being taken advantage of again and again in the future. Um, So I think that's all like so profound the fact that we're constantly, especially those of us who, like, I'm thinking of that meme, it's like, have the confidence of a mediocre white man. (laughs) But it's true, like, you can't deny that men have been socialized to be very sure of themselves, whereas women have been socialized to be the exact opposite. Like, we have to ask for validation at every turn. And I think there does come a point in every person's intuitive and spiritual journey where they sort of have to choose between being exiled by others versus continuing um to go on the like path of the status quo and exile be exiled from their inner self right like do I choose me and acceptance of me or do I choose continuing to be accepted by society And Vasilisa has to argue with this, too, as she's sort of listening to the doll's message, right? 
I also loved on page 90 when um, CPE mentions like women who get a million degrees and they're constantly trying to prove to their family and loved ones that they are of worth um which is so my shadow side (laughs) um so on page 90 she says now will you accept me no okay sigh watch this um so I think seeking validation and needing to prove oneself to others is actually rooted in insecurity right not feeling like you are enough not feeling like you have worth so you must prove to others like your um your academic credentials or um if you have you know you pursue like a master's degree or a phd um just to prove to others that you are smart because you yourself don't believe that you have intelligence um and society has also defined our worth by you know whether we have qualifications or not legitimate qualifications um and i'm saying all this because that's something i definitely struggle with like someone who I love learning, obviously. Like, I wouldn't have made this podcast if I didn't love learning and I didn't love reading and I didn't love doing this and sort of, like, being this English teacher role. Now, um, I, of course, want to further my studies somehow, but it's such a big shadow side to me. I've been realizing the idea of graduate school and the idea of going on to get a PhD or a master's degree um, in whatever area I may choose um, I, I'm slowly starting to check myself and starting to ask myself, like, am I actually doing this for me? Am I actually doing this because I want to continue my studies and, like, I feel like this is something I want to do for myself? Or am I continuing to do this because I want to prove to others that I have worth? Because my whole life in whatever context people have told me I don't have worth and it's not like a million people have come up to me and said like you're a piece of shit but in like different ways you know like like I said like we discussed um when we were talking about bluebird like me being a creative person society telling me I don't have worth as a poet or I don't have worth as a creative thinker um or even like with me being a spiritual, intuitive person. Like, hello, of course society tells us that we do not have worth and we're just, like, quirky. Um, We have faulty quirks, as CPE says on 92. Um, The way society has defined intuition is a faulty quirk, and I think that is, like, so important to realize. Um, yet, the more Vasilisa trusts in her doll and what the doll is telling her to do, the more power the doll has. And that's the key to understanding this story. Um, so I think if you're a baby witch or a baby tarot card reader or whatever you are, if you're looking into into developing your intuition, like I am right now, I think, well, first realizing that Um, you have internalized that your intuition is quirky or weird or strange. Um, You have to acknowledge that first, (laughs) that you've somehow internalized that, and then sort of acknowledging it and accepting it, and then we can rise above that. But then I think on page 93, um, CPE gives us all all we need to know about developing our intuition. This is seriously 
like the golden rule if you don't take away anything else from this episode except this this is the most important thing we need to learn so what does one feed intuition so that is constantly nourished and responsive to our requests to scan our environments one feeds it life one feeds it life by listening to it what good is a voice without an ear to receive it then she goes on to say on 93 if a muscle is not used eventually it withers intuition is exactly that without food without nourishment it atrophies yeah um so i think in human in um layman's terms um if we peel back all of um cpe's beautiful poetic language she's really just saying that in order for intuition to start developing you have to feed it it's like anything intuition is like a muscle and i've also realized that um other things that have to do with spirituality are like a muscle um, the more you meditate, the better you're going to get at it. Um, the more you listen to your intuition, the better you're going to get at it. Um, the more I'm right now, the muscle I'm really desperately trying to um, develop is my ability to remember my dreams. Uh, so every morning for the past week, I've, I'm just s- trying to make a habit out of the first thing I do I get up is write down whatever I can remember from my dreams. And I guarantee you, even though I only have little fragments here and there of what I'm dreaming at night, um, maybe in a month from now, I'll be able to remember the entire dream or an entire section of a dream. And I'll be able to write down more than just bullet points about what I dreamed about last night. Same thing with intuition. When we start to realize that our intuition has a value and um, we start to validate that that power, our intuition gets stronger. Let's take um, reading tarot cards. If you're a beginning tarot card reader and you give someone a reading and they say, wow, that was so spot on. Um, Thank you so much. Um you can just acknowledge that that was you following your intuition and you can give yourself a pat on the back and like you can um if you've really truly felt like you were getting intuitive messages know that you were give yourself permission to feel that way and that is one of the ways we can strengthen that muscle we can also strengthen that muscle by not fucking um sleeping with douchebags <laughs> that we know are bad for us <laughs> That would be a really great example of going with your intuition. Um, Next time you're on a date with someone, like, really uh, try not to think too much about what you feel about them. Like, what is your first impression from there? And go with it. That's also strengthening your intuition. Um, Let's see. What else can we say? I don't want to... This episode's going to be, like, two hours. I apologize. (laughs) But there's so much to talk about. There's so much to unpack. Um, Oh, we definitely have to talk about this. Um, So CPE um, touches on page, I believe it's 96. She says, a good deal of literature 
on the subject of women's power states that men are afraid of women's power. And I always want to exclaim, Mother of God, so many women themselves are afraid of women's power. And when she said this, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like, I really feel like this is true. I feel like if we ever want men um, to not to divide the genders just into two overly simplistic um, sections, but for lesser, for, you know, the sake of a limited English language, if women ever want men to start to sort of like respect us as intuitive human beings and if women ever want men to see our power we first need to see our power right and the um one way the one thing i thought of i was reminded of like where's an area of society we can see women like taking away other women's power and I just thought of like abortion uh like women who are against abortion are simply just taking power away from another woman um whether it doesn't matter your religious beliefs doesn't matter your your personal morals um that's your business but um at the end of the day if you are trying to if you're voting against a right of a woman to make a choice about her body you are taking away the power a woman has right and if you're a woman doing this to another woman that's really just setting us back right um another example would be um like there's a certain percentage of women in this country um and it's not just like a minuscule percentage it's not like one percent of the women in this country Um, It's like, you know, it's a good chunk of women, um, a good chunk of white women who say there's a certain percentage um, that say I wouldn't feel safe with the female president or the ideal of a female president makes some women uncomfortable. Again, prime example, women are afraid of female power. Females afraid of female power. Um, A really radical example uh, just to zoom out of America's issues, um, and go to, like, worldwide issues, um, like, few cultures, there are still few cultures today that, you know, do tribal rituals surrounding female circumcision, but, um, female circumcision, that's not done by men, right, that's done, that's women doing that to women, again, women taking power away from women. Now, I know that's a really radical example, but it's true. We see it. We see it in society. So when um, CPE says so many women themselves are afraid of women's power, I can't help but think she's right. And I think even my default is to go and attack men. Um, And rightfully so. Rightfully so. (laughs) But I think when we're discussing, like, our issues with gender and sexism in America, sometimes we leave out the discussion of women and what women do to sort of set us back, um, which is something to think about. So let's move into what does Baba Yaga actually teach Vasilisa in the woods? Um what does she actually learn from this sort of like creepy woman 
um, that's sort of in the woods. She's eating a bunch of bones. She lives in a house that's on bones. <laughs> um, let's see. On page 102, CPE says, Women's cycles, according to Vasilisa's tasks, are these. To cleanse one's thinking, renewing one's values on a regular basis. I'll read that again. Vasilisa's tasks are to cleanse one's thinking and renew one's values on a regular basis. So when I read that, I was like, hello, paganism. Like, that's what paganism is to me. Like, even though... I am resistant to sort of abiding by one given religious tradition. Like, that's what I love about paganism. Like, paganism is all about, like, with the cycles of winter, fall, summer, spring, but also with the cycles of the moon. There's always an opportunity to cleanse one's thinking and move on to a next cycle and renew one's values. And actually, that's what Vasilisa's learning to do as she's sort of with Baba Yaga in the woods doing her strange tasks. Um, so on page 105, CPE goes further into this idea. She says, you could even say that there is a religion of the garden for it teaches us profound psychological and spiritual lessons. Whatever can happen to a garden can happen to the soul and psyche. Um, too much water, too little water, infestations, heat, storm, flood, invasion, miracles, dying back, coming back, boon, healing, blossoming, bounty, beauty. Wow, I really love that. Now, if you want another journaling prompt from this book, if you're really trying to engage in this book, I want you to look at that quote I just read about, you know, the garden, how the garden is like our soul. Nature reflects the nature of our soul. So, um, when was there a time when your garden of your soul had too much water? Was there ever a time when you had too little water? Was there a, a time when your garden was infested? Was there a time when your garden had too much heat, um, had a flood? Um, was there a time when your garden was like blossoming and bountiful and beautiful? Write about that. And also notice during those times when your garden was blossoming, do you think you were on your soul's path? And those times when you invited, like, infestations into your garden, do you think you were following your soul's path? Um, I just am, like, having such a profound moment, like, thinking about, like, the metaphor of, like, the garden of my soul and, like, how it's so important to check who you're inviting into your garden because so many people can become pests and you can have an infestation in your garden um so easily just all it takes is one moment of not listening to your innermost being your your intuition and suddenly um there's an infestation in your garden and it takes like forever to regrow that stuff you have to uproot every plant that you had and replant it and rewater it and my god it's like <laughs> who wants to do that <laughs> just started following your intuition so on page 111 cpe says intuition is not to be consulted once and then forgotten it is not disposable yes 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 it is not something you can just turn to 
once. It kind of reminds me of um, when she said that intuition is not to be consulted once and then forgotten. It is not disposable. Um, I relate it to like religion and how some people only go to church on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) Um, Or they only pray to God when um, they're having an issue. Um, And not that I really believe in God or that I really believe in organized traditions, but it's the same thing, right? Like you can't just go to intuition one time when you're having an issue and expect it to work flawlessly. Like you have to be going to your intuition like every single day and developing a relationship with your intuition in order to have that strong relationship. Like no no shade to people who do practice organized religion. No shade at all. I just don't. But you probably know. Like, maybe there was a time in your religious journey, like, when you only went to God when you had a problem. And you realized that your, your faith and your knowledge of God actually was strengthened when you prayed every day. Whether you were having a good day or bad day, if you prayed to your God, um, that re- your relationship with God got better, right? Um... Let's wrap this up. Let me leave you with some food for thought. Okay. Ooh, I have a really good thing to leave us with. So, um, on page 111, sorry, 113, CPE says, Each woman who retrieves her intuition and yaga-like powers reaches a point where she is tempted to throw them away. For what is the use of seeing and knowing all these things? Um, Yes, absolutely. Like, I think that's definitely true in, like, the beginning stages of our spiritual journey where, like, we can sort of think, oh, it would be much easier if I just threw all this away. I wouldn't get so many weird looks. I wouldn't have so many conflicts with other people Um, if I were just to be normal, (laughs) quote-unquote. Um. But she also ends the chapter on page 117 talking about a smorgasbord (laughs) and how like there's certain people if we're faced with a buffet of foods, certain people, um, actually most people will just like load up their plate with all different kinds of foods and just like go with like their animal nature and sort of like just indulge. But, like, they're special people who follow their intuition. They're going to actually ask the soul, what do you want to eat? Right? And they follow the soul's knowing. Now, of course, this is a metaphor, but this could be taken literally if you actually are trying to practice more of an intuitive eating um, practice, which I'm trying to do right now. Um, But she also says on page 117, a lover cannot be chosen a la smorgasbord. A lover has to be chosen from a soul craving. And I love this. And I love how we're ending on this note. Because chapter 4 has a lot to do with love and dating. And um, in January, the next episode will come out. I think we're going to do chapter 4, 5, and 6. Um, so sometime mid-January, we're going to read more about what CPE has to say about love and dating. But this is sort of like a taste of her philosophy. Now, when she said love cannot be chosen a la smorgasbord, a lover has to be chosen from a soul craving, I couldn't help but think that um, like a smorgasbord in society would probably be online dating, like Tinder, Bumble, 
what have you. All these online dating apps that make people and sex um, so readily available. And what I'm sort of struggling with, not struggling with, but what I'm like deeply, deeply working through right now is that like if one of my um one of my beliefs like my core beliefs is that people or things who are miss you aren't meant for you and people or things who are meant for you can't miss you if I truly believe that any person that is meant to be with me won't miss me like I should just trust in that, right? Like, I shouldn't need to go on Tinder. I shouldn't need to go on Bumble. I shouldn't need to use dating apps to meet someone because I have, like, such a profound trust in the universe that they will deliver me whoever I am need to be with. I don't even need to seek it, okay? That's kind of what I'm working through right now. Here's where I get stuck. (laughs) Well, does that mean if I do believe that, um, like that doesn't necessarily mean I'm never going to leave the house and just wait for my soulmate, blah, 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 to knock on my door. But what do you guys think? I want to know, do you think like Tinder and Bumble and online dating apps, do you think that like, in a sense goes against intuition or goes against like the laws of manifestation? Because I'm kind of starting to think it does. And I'm starting to think it sort of just sets us back further on our journeys to like finding our like person that our soul craves I'm avoiding saying soulmate because I don't like the connotation or the denotation of soulmate but um and of course like I'm not throwing you shade if you're if you are currently with a partner that you met online totally cool like I know it works for some people I know some people have managed to find their beloved person on online dating apps but for me like I'm starting to think that my personal truth is more about trusting that I will meet the right person at the right time and I don't need to seek. And also, granted, I've never gone on an online dating app. Like, I think I made Tinder, like, one time in my life and it lasted, like, less than 24 hours before I decided this was, like, fucking stupid. (laughs) But I'm going to leave us with that. What do you think, I guess my question is, What is the relationship between following our intuition and online dating apps? And what do you think CPE would think about it? Okay, if you made it through this whole episode, you are an angel. Thank you so much. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Come on over to my Instagram. We'll try to have a discussion in the comments about this book because it is so good. If you got something about this talk out of this talk, please let me know by um, leaving me a rating on iTunes, all those five-star readings. I'm so grateful for, I'm so appreciative of. Um, So I appreciate you guys, and I'm so thankful for everybody who messaged me before this episode and said they were excited for this book club. Um, And if you guys like this kind of thing, obviously I'm going to finish this book. Um, We're going to do an episode in January and then finish this by February which I know seems kind of a long time to do a book club but I want to intermix the book club episodes with other astrology episodes since I know people there's different people coming to this channel for different things like some people like the tarot card aspect of this channel some people like the astrology um, and some people like the book stuff so I'm trying to get a good mix going And uh, I think in the new year, we'll definitely go for more of a 
weekly schedule like my ultimate goal would be to come out with an episode once per week my current life right now is a little crazy since I just got back from Malaysia and um, with the holidays and everything it's a little hard to get a weekly episode out Um, but in the new year that is sort of what I'm thinking about so thanks so much for being here with me guys and hopefully I'll see you for the next episode And we'll talk soon. Thanks.